You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Hello, everybody. This is Thomas from Double Edge Double Bill here with a little disclaimer at the top of the show. In this episode, there's a bit of outdated information in reference to the George Lucas talk show, which our lovely guest Patrick Kotner is a producer on and on-screen talent for. Uh, he announced, along with the George Lucas talk show in general, shortly after he recorded that they were taking a sudden indefinite hiatus on the show. Uh, so some things like the live recordings every Sunday or the Seth Rogen episode they reference in particular didn't end up happening. And uh, we, they don't know when they'll be coming back, uh, but we do hope Patrick and his collaborators like Connor Ratliff, who plays George Lucas on the talk show, and Griffin Newman, who plays Wado, along with everybody else who uh, works on that show over at Plant Scum, a restful break, and hopefully uh, whenever they do come back at their own pace, it's a show that's just as good or even better than it previously was. And also just a shout out that uh, we didn't mention this really in the episode, those guys also did a lot of great uh, charity watch-along marathons while they watched stuff like... Muppets Tonight or the Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip and raised money for charity and they ended up raising about $150,000 for various different charities over the course of the last several months. So not only is it a fun entertaining show but they also did really help out a lot of people over the last several months um, and like I ended up saying on the show it was a really fun entertaining show over the course of the quarantine and I'd recommend and we'll have a link to the YouTube channel in our show notes to definitely watch the archives over 300 hours worth of content that I would definitely recommend to anyone out there who either likes Star Wars, improvised comedy, or uh, both at the same time. Good Venn diagram. But uh, anyway, here is the episode as we recorded it. Hello, please let me see your ticket subs for the double-edged double bill. This week, George Lucas sprays Howard the Duck graffiti like an American. We got him, Thomas and Thomas Mariani. We'll come to the table to discuss the randomly selected yin and yang of a double feature. Then, both will have to pick a number between 1 and 10 in order to seal their fates for the next episode, when we'll have two good movies, the other two bad ones. Let the chaos begin. And I am Thomas Mariani with a black belt in Quack Fu. Oh man, and I am Adam Thomas, and I am regretting that joke and choice of movie. <laughs> We'll get we'll get into all that, Adam. But we're not the only ones here because uh, we have a guest here. Uh, he is a producer and he is an on-screen talent um, on the great George Lucas talk show, which you can find on the internet. Here is Mr. Patrick Cotner. Patrick, welcome to the show. Hi guys, how are you? Uh, as good as you can be, post Howard the Duck, of course. Yeah, considering. Yeah. Oh, so great. So you guys are doing great. That's fantastic. What you're tell me. Yes, exactly. Okay. Amazing. Good. 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 On cloud nine for sure. Yes. Um, <laughs> But uh, before we get too far into our subject, which we're talking about, George Lucas is our subject today uh, for the show. Um, why don't you tell people a bit about the George Lucas talk show? What exactly is it? Because I'm a huge fan, but it is kind of like a yeah. high concept thing to really get around. The easiest way I describe it to people is it's a streaming internet talk show that treats itself like The Tonight Show as if it's hosted by retired filmmaker George Lucas. Comedian Connor Ratliff, who you might know from uh, Marvel's Mrs. Maisel or his podcast Dead Eyes, 
plays George Lucas um, and Griffin Newman, who you might know from the Tick or Blank Check podcast, uh, plays Watto, who, if you don't remember, is the uh, CGI slave owner from the Phantom Medicine Attack of the Clones. Um, and they interview real guests as themselves. We've had Whoopi Goldberg on. We've had Jason Manzoukas on. This weekend, Seth Rogen is on. I don't know when this is coming out, but uh, crazy people who should not be on this show. But it's it's a very fun time, and uh, uh, all of it's on YouTube. And we're live every Sunday at 8 p.m. Eastern on PlanetScum.Live. Yeah, um, I was uh, introduced to the show just basically through hearing that you initially did it as a live stage show. And I yeah. was aware from, uh, like, Griffin Newman with the Blank Check podcast, which I love. Um, and uh, then, uh, finally, you did it as, like, the live show starting, like, last, almost a year ago with the May the 4th, like, 30-hour <laughs> Star Wars marathon. It'll be a year in less than a month, which is insane and not something I want to think about. <laughs> true, true. But it's been a great balm for this terrible time. I, I watch every Sunday, and I also love watching on the YouTube. What, what I love doing is pretty much, like, watching when I can, because, like, on Sundays I might be, like, watching a movie or, like, editing this show. But I love, like, tuning in and out during the live show, just catching whatever weird things you guys are doing from, like, time to time, and then watching the whole yeah. thing on YouTube. Just like, oh, it's it's like a mystery. I get the, I get the connecting threads. Together. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like uh, it's like memento a little bit, where like you see all the pieces, and then you're like, I have no idea what this means, and then you watch the whole thing, and you're like, oh, okay, I sort of understand it now. I really need to stop tattooing myself. It's a real, <laughs> real problem. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah. so, has doing the George Lucas talk show, whether on stage or in this format, um, has that affected your view on George Lucas himself and his movies and all? Definitely. I mean, I feel like at this point, I mean, this sounds overwhelming to people who don't know the show, but we've done like over 300 hours of the show during quarantine. Um, so I've spent so much more time with fake George Lucas than I obviously have with real George Lucas, even in like documentaries and like commentaries and stuff like that. So it's definitely a very weird wavy line trying to remember what is actual George Lucas lore and what is fake Connor Ratliff George Lucas lore um it makes me like him you know I always like him obviously but it makes me uh uh feel warm nice feelings towards him just because I'm like oh that's my friend you know George is my friend and there's a lot of times where I'm talking to Connor on the phone and I will just call him George just because I'm so used to having to like condition my brain to not call him Connor while we're on the show it's definitely made it so that uh, it's a lot of what I have thought about during this pandemic, just because of like so much time being put into like prepping that show or trying to book guests or something like that, where it's like, I've seen American Graffiti like three times during this pandemic. I've watched Howard the Duck like two or three times just so I can like kind of familiarize myself. So in case it comes up on the show, I will not sound like a dork who doesn't remember things. As opposed to a dork who remembers things. <laughs> exactly. Thank you. Uh, it's definitely a, uh, it's a positive experience overall though, I think. I, I think that's honestly what I love about the concept of you, of you guys doing the George Lucas talk show is like, I grew up watching George Lucas in so many interviews. He was one of the first yeah. like filmmakers I attached myself to when I was younger getting into movies. And it's so interesting because you think of Star Wars and all this big splendor is like special effects stuff he did. And he's one of the more boring speakers and in interviews. It's for sure so yeah. fascinating. So then Connor... Ratliff kind of taking on this persona and adding so much weird affectations to it honestly makes it like such a fun character, especially as like a talk show presence. Mm -hmm. There's things that he will say 
that then you will find out real George Lucas has either said or like basically done. Like there was some on the show, Connor loves the Looney Tunes. So the Looney Tunes come up so much. And then this week, Mark Hamill tweeted about how George, real George, wanted uh, Duck Dodgers, the the uh, animated short, you know, with Daffy and all that. He wanted that to play before the original Star Wars in 1977. And it's just like such a funny, weird, like connection that I never would have thought was like a real thing. And then I saw it, you know, in front of me and I was like, am I hallucinating this? What is happening right now? <laughs> right, for sure. And um, I mean, Adam, uh, what about you? What are your sort of connections to Lucas? Obviously, probably a Star Wars was like the, the big kicking off point. But what do you think of him as sort of like a weird figure in Hollywood sort of history? You know, I'll agree with you as far as like being interviewed. He's just so bland and boring. But I was it's funny. I was just having this conversation with my brother a couple nights ago. I think George Lucas is, is, is basically a genius. Um, especially when it comes to world building, you know, there's, there's all these fan theories that come out and have been coming out since star Wars where people come up with these wild ideas and sometimes it's, they're dead on they're hundred percent. Right. And there's no question that George Lucas had that idea in his head while he made the movie at the time. I mean, he, he's just come up with so many just crazy rabbit holes and sort of lineage and, genealogy to all these different characters and creatures and worlds and and everything that it, it's you know say what you will about maybe his filmmaking abilities in the in the later half of his career uh there's no denying that a he's he's like i said he's a genius b he created i mean would you say arguably the greatest pop culture moneymaker of all time uh with arguably the most fervent fan base i mean for all the faults people might have against him, it doesn't outweigh anything that he's contributed to modern day uh, pop culture and fandom. Yeah, I mean, I, I would say so. And especially, it's, it's so interesting even that, like, he you can tell he has, like, so many ideas swimming in his head with interviews. But also, I kind of love the old grandpa-ishness of seeing stuff like the behind-the-scenes stuff for the prequels. Where there's so much footage of him just, like, seeing designs and he's like, yeah, that one works. Let's do that one. <laughs> it's just, it's so <laughs> fascinating to see because, like, he can spot talent or, like, really creative craft, but he's also so nonchalant. Like, yeah. Like, we'll be talking about with American Graffiti. I love that apparently all he did for auditions was just, like, very simple five minute interviews. And then it's just like, okay, thank you for your time. Yeah. <laughs> and then he hired people later. It's, he's such a weird, fascinating figure. I mean, you can't deny the, the guy is a great ideas man. That's, like, his biggest strength. And I think where a lot of the faults come in that people will throw at him is that he's not necessarily uh, the best at executing all of those ideas, you know, to various degrees. But like, he's a great ideas man and he can see talent when, you know, when it's in front of him, like so many people that he hired early on in their careers have either gone on to huge, you know, huge things, uh, whether it's special effects or, you know, just, you know, any kind of like, behind the scenes thing so many people who worked on star wars as like their first or second movie are like still working today uh and it's fascinating to just think of the the lineages that he has created um you know throughout the years 
Well, and interestingly, we'll be talking about two oddly not Star Wars related ones. We kind of intentionally did that just because <laughs> I'm sure you would have been too Star Wars out. And plus, there's so much Star Wars talk on the internet anyway. Yeah, so many people talk about Star Wars, so I'm very happy that we are not talking about Star Wars. <laughs> yes, that's true, because at the end of our last episode, where we did our random picking of our good and bad pick for the episode, uh, we ended up with my good choice of American Graffiti and Adam's bad choice of Howard the Duck, which we'll be talking about in detail here. So let's first uh, start off with American Graffiti. American Graffiti! Where were you in 62? Grab that special one and jump into your candy-colored custom or your screaming machine, cruise downtown, and catch American Graffiti. American Graffiti! Baby, what's that? It's a movie! Can you dig it? Can you dig it? It's one of those great old movies about romance, racing, and rock and roll. American Graffiti, where were you in 62? And uh, American Graffiti came out August 11th, 1973 from George Lucas, which he wrote with uh, Gloria Katz and William Hayek. I apologize because every time I see his last name, I just think of like the goofy noise ostensibly <laughs> uh so it's hard but he they also of course would be the main people behind our next feature I, I didn't even remember that those two were as heavily involved and they also like wrote what was the temple of doom and radio land murders amongst other weird uh george lucasy projects um and this was the his second feature that he directed um after he had done thx 1138 which wasn't a huge splash at the time um and it was a much more sterile stanley kubrick style sci-fi movie and then his producer buddy Francis Ford Coppola said, hey, why don't you make a mainstream movie? Why don't you make something that people would actually want to see? And so he wrote this, and it was such a big success, he got his stupid little space movie made. And we lucked out. Yeah, very true, very true. But I'm curious, especially Patrick, given obviously like so much of the Star Wars lineage after this, how do you feel like this one works for like Lucas in terms of what we know about him? Considering, I would argue, of the various different ones he's directed, the only six or so, it sticks out like a weird thumb in the middle of them yeah it's definitely very strange uh it was a movie that i recently rewatched, maybe like two months ago or something like that i hadn't seen it in a really long time and my memory of it was that i didn't like it i like i thought it was very boring it just was not for me i think i saw it in high school and it was just not for me at the time and then i watched it again with my roommate uh, uh i think we were prepping we were doing a harrison ford show we were talking to people who were in harrison ford movies and I was like, oh, wait, this movie rocks. This movie's really good. And we watched this, and then we watched more American Graffiti, which is the sequel, uh, which is also on HBO Max. And I think people should check it out because it's wild. I recently checked that out, and it is fascinating as a follow-up it's to this fascinating. movie. It's <laughs> fascinating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We could talk about it in a little bit because it's, it's fascinating. But yeah, no, I mean, it definitely sticks out. And it, it makes you yearn to see what George would have directed if he didn't get mashed into the you know the star wars meat grinding machine for the rest of his career basically because if he you know could have made more movies in this vein it would have been interesting just to see where he would have gone um because it definitely is so different from almost everything else that he's done in his career francis ford coppola literally says certain point like it's a tragedy would happen to george because he could have been such an interesting filmmaker if he didn't go down like the star wars path but adam uh how do you feel about this one I think I got pretty much the same origin story with it. I, I saw it probably maybe early high school, if not even before that. Uh, my dad was a big fan of it, so he had me watch it. And uh, I remember thinking it was so boring mm-hmm. and so bland and dumb. And then the same thing, I revisited it probably about 
oh, I don't know, man, six to eight years ago. And I was like, this is one of the greatest fucking one-off movies by any director I've ever seen. Because that's really what this is. It's a complete just departure from everything he's done uh, before and since. And it's kind of nuts that it works as well as it does. And it's basically a masterpiece. Because it shouldn't. It really shouldn't. The same guy who made Star Wars and produced, you know, the Raiders movies and Howard the Duck and all these wild shit should not have been able to make American Graffiti, this sort of small tale populated by just rich characters that you end up really caring about all of them and, and want to see where their story is going to go. And, you know, beginning of the movie, you might hate one of the characters and at the end, you love them. It's, it's just so expertly done and made that it's, it's, it's bewildering to me that this is a George Lucas movie. I still, like, every time I watch it, I have to think it's Spielberg or something or else I get distracted. Because it, it just doesn't make sense to me at all. <laughs> no, and I think it's because it feels so personal to him. In the same way that, like, Star Wars was personal because of how much he loved, like, the serial stuff from Flash Gordon and all that other stuff. It feels very personal just about, like, him living in Modesto, California. And how much of it is, like, so much about, like, hey, this is a small town, I want to kind of get out of here. But at the same time, really immersing you in this particular time. And especially considering, like, it's such a weird time, 62, because it's, like, they mentioned, like, oh, they want to meet President Kennedy at some point, stuff like that. It's, like, this is such a point before, like, so many major shifts in American culture that would happen. And it's such an interesting portrait of that. Um, but also, it doesn't feel like just a winking nostalgia fest kind of thing. It's also just like a fun, rousing movie that, as we mentioned, it feels so different from Lucas. It feels more like a Robert Altman movie. It's like a casual hangout thing. You, you mentioned 62 also reminds me. I was so confused when I watched it this last time because in my head, it was like a 50s movie. I was like, oh, this takes place in the 50s. And now thinking like if this movie came out today it would be set in 2010. It messed with my head so much because it, it just felt so much older than what it actually was. I, I, for some reason, I always assumed it was like mid fifties. It's, it's a great examination of sort of that point early in a decade before like things really crystallized into what the sixties would be pretty much. And it's a lot bleeder from the fifties and just a really fun way. And also we, we spoke about George Lucas, like spotting so much talent. This is a cast of so many, like amazing people were like I love that the name at the time in this cast is Ron Howard who mm-hmm. like completely like this is his like I'm not no longer a little kid actor I'm gonna be do something a bit more daring and one and he's a massive asshole weirdly like you would not figure Ron Howard is like the biggest dick of this cast of people but like it, it really it somehow works and then also like obviously Richard Dreyfus and uh, Charles Martin Smith my favorite honestly is probably Candy Clark who spends a lot of his, her yeah. time with Charlotte. Like, I love all of the stuff with her and Charles Martin Smith. It's, like, so funny, yeah. and I love their chemistry. It's so weird and cute. There's so many people that have good chemistry. Like, even you know, the Mackenzie Phillips and Paula Matt stuff is weird, but it's, like, they're both really funny in it. And, like, you look at it, and you're like, oh, Paula Matt should have been a movie star. And it's a bummer that, like, you don't get more, you know, he's obviously in a bunch of stuff, but, like, that it didn't continue on through his career. And, and even like Cindy Williams is great in it. There's so many people I, you know, you could go through literally everyone. Do you guys think this might be a little autobiographical too for George Lucas, maybe a little bit. Oh, he he yeah. loves cars. He loves going fast. Yeah. So I think he's, when you say he's Curtis and toad, like, like, 
Yeah, I, I, those probably. would be the two characters I would identify himself. But no, my favorite's probably Richard Dreyfuss in it. I, I think he's really, really good in it. Um, I've always been a, a young Richard Dreyfuss fan, not so much Mr. Holland's Opus and beyond. But um, yeah, no, I, I would say probably Curtis. I think Curtis is really fun. But uh, no, my favorite bit is with Toad and Debbie when, when she's there, you know, drinking and she keeps talking about the goat killer. Uh, I just think that's so funny, and it works on so many levels. Ron Howard is the most delike, dislikable character in the movie, and that is crazy. But I, I think everybody in it just turns in a pretty fantastic performance. I, I'd be hard-pressed to really pick out a super weak link in the bunch. And and all of them just have moments where they sparkle. Where you, It's like Patrick was saying, you would figure any of these people could become stars. Even down to yeah. Harrison Ford has like three scenes in this movie. And you immediately see why, like, oh, this dude would be a massive star not too long after this. It makes so much sense. Just the any of the moments where he's, like, looking over at Paul Lamette and Mackenzie Phillips inside of the, their car and just, like, the smiles he gives and all, like, the, just even the simple attire of, like, he's in a white shirt, cowboy hat, but instantly you're just like, that guy is the most charismatic and handsome person I've ever seen. Yeah, he looks cool as hell. Even in just a white shirt, you're like, oh man, this guy is, I mean, obviously it's tough looking back at it now and thinking what kind of headspace those people would be in. But you're like, of course, this guy becomes a huge movie star. Of course. And what a genius idea for him to wear the cowboy hat too. It, it's yeah. so genius. It makes him, it sets him apart from everyone too. in just enough of a way to where he's got this really out of sort of place wardrobe, wardrobe. wardrobe you know what the hell I'm trying to fucking say. God <laughs> Anyways, this really out of place choice uh, that it just, it almost identifies him as a threat because he's so different than everyone else. And it, it's pretty, pretty smart just on wardrobe line alone. Oh my God. I can't speak tonight. Um, <laughs> I think it's because of Howard the Duck, but we can keep going. Um, no, yeah, I think it's it's such a phenomenal display of, like, the, the costume design and the, just how strong the characters are. I think where even if, like, say Ron Howard can be, like, the, the biggest asshole of the group, I believe so much in his story with, like, Cindy Williams, where this feels like a real weird, like, high school relationship that is on the brink of, like, falling apart, but they kind of try and stick yeah. together despite that. Especially, I love the scene at the sock hop where they do, like, the slow dance and they're arguing with each other, and one of my favorite comedic beats is just, like, they're having this intense argument with each other while they're dancing, and it does, like, a cut to that like a wider shot and they're just doing like the most stiff awkward dancing everyone is confused by it's it's <laughs> such a fantastic cut and i think that's that's another weird thing is like star wars has plenty of humor in it but this feels so much funnier than any other george lucas yeah movie. now does having seen more american graffiti does that negatively or positively impact your thoughts on this movie um i, I think it gives me much stronger feelings toward this movie because it, it feels so much more like a natural piece um, where it just, yeah. and it's so consistent. It flows so perfectly. It doesn't feel like it's nearly two hours long or anything like that. It just feels like so perfectly put together, even though it's obviously a much less ambitious movie, because if, if you don't know folks, Morgan American graffiti takes place uh, like over the course of four different new year's eves chronicling one character from this movie and they're all shot in various different styles, like we see Toad in Vietnam, 
and it looks like a six, like a super 16 movie. And there's uh, following Debbie when she gets into like Woodstock level hippie culture and split screen and all mm-hmm. stuff. It's fascinating. I don't, it doesn't work, but I respect the weird ambition and more importantly, how just like, Oh, Hey, this big, incredibly successful movie. How do we follow it up? i um, doing something that would alienate anyone who liked the first movie pretty much. <laughs> The thing I really enjoy about that movie is the editing and the different styles, though. I think it's just, like, you don't see it in movies. Like, how one section will look like you're watching, like, 24 with, like, multiple cameras, you know, on the screen at the same time from going at the same different angles. And, like, one thing uh, is, like, 16 millimeter in Vietnam. Like, it, just the look of it, I enjoyed, obviously, so much more than the content. But I think it's fascinating because it feels ballsier than a lot of sequels at that time I imagine felt one of my favorite details about that movie the sequel is that if I remember right George wanted someone to write a script for the sequel so this guy like wrote a script and George goes great you're directing it too and <laughs> yes. it was like not that guy's plan uh, but I think it's just very funny where he's just like oh, yeah okay this is a good script you can do it too I'll just let you direct it I think it's funny <laughs> But to turn that question at least to you, Patrick, do you feel like watching that movie at least kind of strengthens your appreciation for this one as well? Yeah, I think so. I think so. But I'm also, I have a weird brain where like, and this is going to sound like a tangent, but it's not, I promise. I feel like a lot of people will watch something, like say they watch Lost, right? But they don't like the last season of Lost. And they'll be like, well, I just pretend like that didn't happen. Or even, you know, Star Wars, if they don't like the sequels, they'll be like, well, I just, I just pretend like those didn't happen. My brain will automatically go, well, that's what happened. I watched it. I know that that's what, how it all turned out. And I feel like watching more American Graffiti, it enhances it because I'm like, well, now I know what happens to those characters after this movie. I'm like, it can only enhance it for me, even if it's a bad experience. I'm like, well, it stinks that they all had shitty lives after this movie. But it helps paint a broader picture for my weird brain. Well, you don't necessarily need much more than the end credit thing, which is like kind totally. of st- stunning, honestly, in this movie. That it yeah. just after all this fun, it's just like, oh, hey, one's a writer, um, one stayed in Modesto, and the other two are either missing or dead. Um, it yeah. seems like a bold declaration of just like, oh, th- this moment in time, it completely evaporated not too long afterward. I think that's that's fascinating. If nothing else, is also pretty innovative because that wasn't as common the cinematic technique at that point. Much like a lot of other things, like the music, the soundtrack choice, and some of this other stuff that like the the movie like really innovated. Um, I I feel like it, it does. I, I sort of respect that gumption for more American graffiti, but at the same time, so much like fun, innovative stuff happens in this. I'll, I'll ask this. Adam, are you at all enticed to watch more American Graffiti after we talked about it? <laughs> I, oh, I've seen it. I have oh, seen it. Uh, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Not recently. <laughs> uh, it's been quite a while. And I got to be honest, I don't remember a thing about it until you guys started mentioning like the, the crazy cuts and the editing and stuff. So I kind of remember that. Sounds like you got to rewatch it, buddy. <laughs> I think I have to. Um, yeah. And I'm going to tell you right now, I don't think I'm going to enjoy it. Uh, no. But, yeah, no. but... You know, if anything, it's because you you fucking like, kind of put me on a thing here, so you laid out a challenge. All right, yeah, I'm going to watch the shit out of it. I'm going to get it tattooed right. on my back. And, and give us your right. book report and progress report and everything next time, and we'll be... We'll, yeah, we'll like, little... like a clear yeah, a clear little folder with a uh, color pencil drawing for the cover uh-huh. art. Right, yes. 
Um, but I do also want to say, um, I, I think another great moment, like you mentioned the Curtis stuff, um, but the presence of Wolfman Jack in this whole movie, I think is such an amazing, like, and he's such a unique real figure that George Lucas was so attracted to. And it's so weird how, like, he really weaves the movie together with his, like, different radio announcements that were actually very much what he used to, like, put out on the radio. And I, I love him as sort of this weird cultural figure that kind of fits the folklore of this town that, like, well, we'd have nothing to do in Modesto, let's fantasize about whatever weird stuff wolfman jack does and all that build up to the actual scene where he shows up is like it's such a beautifully perfectly orchestrated scene of just like trying to convince curse like get out of here and then the reveal that he's actually wolfman jack is like it's it's so perfectly put together he's like a good actor in it too it's like you know you you don't always expect those real life people to like actually put together good performances but then when he shows up you're like yeah, I believe what this guy's putting down. He's like, he's, he's, uh, you feel the emotion in that scene. That's actually kind of one of the things that always stuck with me about this movie too, is Wolfman Jack. And, um, I don't know if it's because he was called Wolfman or not. I mean, to be honest, <laughs> I was a dumb kid when I saw it. That's probably a big part of it, but, um, yeah, no, he, he's great. He, it, it's almost like he pushes the narrative without even really t- talking about the story itself but if if he wasn't in there if you didn't have him on the radio or anything it would not have the same feel i'd argue it really wouldn't flow nearly as well as it does i don't think yeah yeah i i think that it's really the glue that keeps the movie together where all these different disparate like uh storylines that are happening are inherently like very interesting like the the paula mad mackenzie phillips stuff there's there's so much like drag race energy that feels once again very much of the time but then connecting with the more goofy stuff like charles martin smith trying to steal alcohol alcohol or um the the ron howard cindy williams stuff it, like there's so many like different connecting threads that you need something like a wolfman jack to really keep it together to some degree before we uh segue into our, our next feature because there's so much to talk about i do want to ask do you see any of the stuff from American Graffiti really carry over into like his later wins, the Star Wars stuff, any of the other things he's produced, especially like a Patrick. Do you see any of like the DNA that would later come about in his, uh, Lucas's other projects? I would say here, I'm, let me try and get the, I'm trying to make the list in my head of things. Music is always a big part. You know, obviously he works with John Williams a lot, but it sort of functions the same way where it's like, it is important whether it's, uh, you know, pop music or orchestral music um, always stays very important to him. Uh, the humor always stays important, whether or not it's always successful is a different story, but he at least tries to inject some humor and stuff, especially in those in, you know, New Hope and um, uh, Empire, I guess, to a lesser extent. But New Hope definitely has a similar vibe of humor in a lot of it. And and I think him shooting the drag race uh and and all the racing throughout the movie take out the cars and put in spaceships um and it definitely it it holds over throughout the rest of his directing career after this because that's all he really is uh directing after this is is you know spaceship movies so you're saying this is the original pod race is the drag race in this movie i'm yeah what i'm saying is the bunta eve classic originated in modesto that's what i'm trying to say <laughs> who's sebulba though who is our sebulba who's here? i mean it's gotta be bob falfa doesn't it it's gotta yeah. be harrison ford that makes sense true he's the same kind of renegade who would throw like fish yeah. things at at a jar jar exactly yeah Exactly. I, yeah, and those those two those two twins that Sebulbas are hanging out with the blue twins that he's hanging out with. That's the Suzanne Summers who's in the car with Harrison Ford. You know, it's the same right. vibe. 
Yes, exactly. 100%. (laughs) I can't dispute it. Uh, But what about Adam? Do you see any of that carry over into like some of the later Lucas projects from here? I mean, yeah, other than than what uh, Patrick mentioned already, just also, you know, he, he really does have an eye for casting young talent. He did keep doing up until the end. I mean, whether you agree with some of the casting choices or not, he always wanted to give sort of young guys and up and comers their due. And uh, that's something he was also felt like he was very beholden to his whole career. Not only is that pretty damn cool because, you know, you got to figure near the end of his career, he could have probably gotten anybody he wanted to be in, in like the Star Wars prequels or anything like that. Uh, but he just stuck to his guns and cast the people he thought were right for the job. And, you know, obviously that started here. Like you said, he would do five minute interviews and that's all it would take and he'd choose them. And uh, I, that's something for better or for worse that he continued to do. And I, and I think that alone is pretty impressive as well. Yeah, I think the, the big thing I just was noticing, especially rewatching it this time, is just how much of like the fun, spontaneous energy he would try to recreate later. Because if you watch like THX one one three eight, is a completely inhuman, devoid of emotion movie by design. Full of fun and spontaneous energy. <laughs> THX one one three eight. Robert Duvall, the most fun, loving guy possible. Uh-huh. And, there, and there's race in that movie too. He's in a car at one point, so it's clearly yeah, very similar. Yeah. Uh, but I think, like, you can definitely tell that with this movie, he sort of got his initial spring for, like, oh, hey, let's have, like, weird, especially, like, character dynamics we didn't expect to come about, like, with two completely different personalities, like a Charles Barton Smith or Candy Clark in particular. It, it isn't that yeah. huge an evolution to go from there to eventually, like, say, you know, uh, Han Solo and Princess Leia and Luke Skywalker meeting each other in A New Hope and how much that's full of yeah. just like wisecracking at each other kind of dynamics. Also a really fast-paced energy. To quote Lucas's direction that he did plenty of times, he wanted it faster and more intense. And you can mm-hmm. see it start all the way over here. Um, but let's just do quick final thoughts then on American Graffiti before we move on and get to so much fun with Hour of the Duck. Uh, Patrick, final thoughts on American Graffiti. Good movie, I like it, and I I uh, think people should watch the whole American Graffiti trilogy. Right. Do you guys know about this? I know because I watch your show so much, but please explain to the audience. Richard Dreyfuss's parents in American Graffiti are the two main characters in Radio Land Murders. So you got Radio Land Murders, and then you got American Graffiti, and then you got more American Graffiti. So go check them all out, and they really work well as a whole. That you can definitely tell were meant to be connected. Where's my box set, Universal? I want it. I want that box set. <laughs> uh, but Adam, your final thoughts on American Graffiti? Uh, you know, it's a classic for a reason. It hits all the notes it's supposed to. It hits all the notes that you've heard it does. It, it's just, it's a fantastic movie from beginning to end. Uh, acting, the way it's shot, the soundtrack, everything. It's timeless, and it deserves that title. Yeah, and I, I think it's it's one of Lucas's uh, better movies, obviously. Um, I think it's, it's the most interesting one just because we mentioned it sticks out so well, but at the same time, it's got such a great cast and production design and just this real feel of this particular time and place that, like, it, it's it's such a great snapshot movie and it feels like, because this is also a big start of, like, nostalgia culture uh, with this, because mm-hmm. not too long after this is, like, Happy Days, obviously, starring Ron Howard and other stuff like that that just milks so much out of, like, remember this specific time and place? And I like that Lucas just kind of presents a more honest thing about, like, yeah, I remember this time and place, and I had, like, so many nostalgic memories, but also it was kind of a time where I was really thinking about things differently, and I was transitioning in my life. It has, like, a real emotional honesty to it that, you know, might be lacking in some of his later movies. But you can tell it's always at least been there, and he's always tried to carry that over for better and worse. 
But before we uh, continue to our next show, here's Nat for an ESO show you can queue up right after ours. Check out what's been going on with the Pop Culture Cosmo Show and the PCC Multiverse. People are just losing their minds trying to consume Marvel products right now, and I don't blame them. This is some of the best entertainment you can get on TV and big screen right now. If something's going to be successful or not, they look at the mentions, they look at the likes, they look at the retweets and the tweets and the subtweets and the tweet tweets, and they look at all of that to say, okay, this is actually going to garner a lot of attention. Catch our shows on Worldwide Radio seven days a week and right here on the ESO Network. And now let's get into Howard the duck. Across the sea of stars lies another world, a world almost exactly like ours. This is where he lives. He has everything except fulfillment. And then one night, it happens. Hey, good buddy, are you home? He has a very sudden midlife crisis. He lands in Cleveland. Maybe you're here for some greater purpose, some cosmic cause. Here, he discovers just who he really is. Oh, no. A duck in big trouble. That's a duck, man. Howard the Duck, trapped in a world he never made. Coming from George Lucas, a Willard Hike film, a Gloria Katz production. So, Howard the Duck uh, came out August 1st, 1986, uh, which was directed by Willard Hayuck, along with uh, Gloria Katz, uh, wrote it and produced it with him. And it's the first big screen Marvel adaptation based on the comics by Steve Gerber. Uh, so, you know, it, it's an innovative film. It, it really, like, paved the way for what everybody loves now about Marvel movies. But that, without Howard the Duck, you wouldn't have it, guys. What a dang movie. What a fun movie, guys. I love this movie. I was so excited that you picked it. Well, expound upon that. What what makes you sort of uh, have so much fun with this, especially considering um, that's not maybe the most popular opinion, shocking, Patrick. No, no, it's not. It's not the most popular opinion. But you know what? I never said I was the most popular guy. You know, I, the things that I like about this movie. Let's go through them. Here we go. I think Leah Thompson's great in it. I love the practical effects. I love uh, the the big monster at the end. I think it's great. I think, uh, you know, Jeffrey Jones, bad guy, good in this movie. And I think uh, we probably can all agree, bad guy. Yes. Um, but I think he yeah, 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 really yeah, yeah. Com- yeah, 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 great. I just want to get it on record from all of us. <laughs> yes. Um, really, really commits in this movie. I think he's really funny in this movie. Um, I like when they're on that dang airplane. I think it's really, <laughs> I have a good time. I think they. I like the song at the end. Um... We'll leave it at that. We'll leave it at those. And and maybe more will come up as we go. And listen, I know this is not a popular take, and I'm okay with you guys not agreeing with me, but I just need to speak my truth, and I need to put it out there. Well, we're glad we had you on to speak your truth and be honest about it. Right, Thank all, you. right on screen. Thank you. But, um, Adam, I can tell you were making some noises that made me officially know you <laughs> agree 100% with what Patrick's saying. So go ahead and just keep agreeing. All right, well, the thing is, this movie is... Uh, I don't put this. It's nothing if not ambitious. I, I I will say that they they definitely do try to do a lot of like sort of goofy world building, especially in the beginning with like all the movie posters and you know everything's changed into ducks and. Mm-hmm. It's, it, it, you're, it, saying, you're Jones, saying a lot of fun stuff so far. <laughs> Je- <laughs> <laughs> Jeffrey Jones is really good in it, and yes, uh, he's a terrible person. 
I would I could not say in good confidence that I think Howard the Duck is a good movie because I don't. I don't think it's good. I think it's really, really sort of cheesy and, and but it, but it is that in a good way. Uh, to me, Howard the Duck is the pure definition of a so bad it's good movie. Um, this is one that I, I by the way, I, I completely will disagree with the final song. I think it's one of the worst fucking things. <laughs> it just drives me off the fucking wall to the point to where to torture each other when we were kids. My brother and I would sing it to each other. Um, just the hook part over and over and over. So we'd just be running around the house. Howard the Duck. Howard the Duck. Now, you know, the thing is, anytime I've seen this movie, and I haven't seen it that much, I, I, you know, a good amount of time, but I find myself enjoying it. To the point where, I mean, my five-year-old was watching a lot of it with me today. It's not necessarily made for kids that young, but she doesn't know anything that's happening. Yeah. She just sees a duck in a costume getting beat up by big guys. I did have to stop it when Jeffrey Jones came on because he scared her. Now, I don't know if it's because it was Jeffrey Jones or because he became the monster character. Um, well, you know, who knows? She might be kind of a psychic. You know, she was getting a kick out of it. So it's, it's like kind of watching it through even uh, someone that young's eyes and just like, this is just pure stupidity and fun. It really is. I mean, it's, yeah. it's just chaotic, ridiculous fun. And I want to be clear. That is what I'm looking for in a movie, you know? And I think that's why I, and this is not even me like doing a bit. Like I want chaotic, stupid fun. Uh, that's what I have fun with. So that I think that's why I like this movie. And I, I can recognize that it's not good. Like, I totally understand. I'm not a complete lunatic, but like, <laughs> right. I've, I, you know, I'm having, I'm having a good time while I'm watching it. It's never boring. I think that's the thing no. with like most of George Lucas's like failures, quote unquote, or movies that you don't necessarily like. There is always something interesting and distinctly Lucas about it. I think particularly Absolutely. with this movie. And how many of the weird different, like, uh, special effects stuff that you mentioned, or even the very corny jokes, or the weird love of, like, the, the film noir, like, music, and how that clashes with the 80s hair metal stuff at the same time. Um, but I think there's also just, like, I agree, there's a lot of, at least, maybe not even just ambition, but at least, like, a lot of rousing attempted fun with it that I think especially comes from these two like Laurie Katz and Wink Yuck like you can tell from the earlier movies they collaborated with Lucas on that they add a specific sensibility to any of these movies whether you like them or not they have a very specific sense of humor that they really want to like display out there and I think Howard the Duck has that in such a weird way where even like I agree that most of the effects especially like even Howard which was such a weird like idea to like hey let's actually do this on live action let's make a little howard the duck costume when it's like the credit to ed gale is the the little person in the suit howard is much more convincing than i honestly say you would expect for the time um it's only when yeah. he's like animatronic that you can tell like oh this is like chuck e cheese level shit yeah. <laughs> like when it's just like him like sitting down and shit like that it's just like oh and, you, and they even knew that at the time they're like let's just focus on him in the suit it looks a lot better with him <laughs> just in the suit <laughs> When he's running around and climbing on things, I think it's fun. There were multiple outfits that Howard wore in that movie that I turned to my roommate and I said, I'd wear that. I would wear that outfit. He looks great. Howard <laughs> he, looks great. He has a variety of different fashions, and particularly the, the, the yeah. last uh, suit he wears is the manager of the Leah Thompson yeah. <laughs> band. I think she's like, oh, Howard's yeah. looking fly, not going to lie. Well, here's what I noticed. You're saying Howard's looking fly. I'm saying Howard's looking McFly. 
because he's wearing a very similar outfit to what Marty wears at the uh, the dance when he plays the guitar. It's a very similar outfit and does a lot of very similar moves while he's rocking out during that song. I mean, look, George Lucas and Steven Spielberg, big friends, I'm sure. It's like, hey, you looking for yeah. this outfit you've been looking for for Hour of the Duck? Well, look at this. Yeah. I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure. But uh, maybe it's the same outfit. They use trick photography. Michael J. Fox is actually like two and a half feet tall. You yeah, don't know. Yeah. It's like a Hobbit situation. Like they filmed it like Lord of the Rings in the Back to the Future. <laughs> Clearly, clearly. But I would agree with you, especially about Leah Thompson, who, like, mm-hmm. I love from the Back to the Future movies. And it's a bummer that, like, this movie kind of stopped her from having a huge megastar set. She's obviously still been working. She's so great. I loved her on your show as well. It's one of my favorite episodes. Yes, she's great. Show, um, that you did. But she has this, like, real, like, gumption to just go full on into a character like this. And she feels very yeah. sincere, very sweet. Um, and also is even willing to go with the wild things they make her do in this movie. Like, particularly the obvious like the scene where it's implied they're almost about to have sex and it's not implied is such a light term like they are so close to having sex in this movie and it's baffling but it's like you know what i've never seen that in the movie before (laughs) that's completely unique to this fucking movie i've never seen anyone try and have that kind of weird like tension between an animatronic duck and leah thompson it is very weird but she sells it in a way that i respect where i'm like you're you're signing up uh, for what what they're asking you to do, and it's it's very uh, good for her. That's what I gotta say. I gotta say good for her. You no, know, I've always been a big Leah Thompson fan, you know. And the very next year, she followed up with with what I would say arguably is one of the better of the early John Hughes movies, with some kind of wonderful. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, she's always been very capable. Like even in the Back to the Future movies, she's fantastic in all of them. She goes yeah. for it. 100%, 110%. Dude, Tim Robbins is great in this movie. Yes, very early Tim Robbins. He's out of control, manic, and he's also going 100% for it, and he's really quite fun in it. Yeah. It sounds like you like this movie. I think I might like it a little bit more than I might have let hot. I mean, if nothing else, I'll say I think I would probably enjoy it a bit more if not for the massive amount of duck puns. Like, I think there would have been a certain level that would have worked for me, and then I think the movie goes sure. tenfold with it. A move I respect, but not necessarily a move that I laugh at that to much. Be, to be fair, though, in the original comics, man, there was a lot of that type of shit. Yeah. Okay. There was yeah, a sir. lot. It's, it's a lot like Peter Porker Spider-Ham type, Yeah. you know, it's silly jokes. Yeah, it's definitely a, a different uh, tone than the comics, because um, the comics get, like, very mystical at points and like there's a lot of like man thing crossovers and stuff like that it's great yeah and violent stuff uh but then also like very satirical he runs for president at one point like there's you know there's a lot of stuff going on uh it's a very different tone but um the comics also go hard and i recommend people going to read the first run of comics because they're uh great and fascinating in fact i have somewhere the, the essential marvel books i have a bunch of them and i have one that has the entire, not necessarily the entire opening run, but like all the notable Howard the Duck comics in it. It's pretty fantastic. It's super fun to read, for sure. Well, yeah, and admittingly, um, it, this did sort of taint Howard's image at the time uh, with uh, sort of being a comic book character and was kind of an infamous bomb when it came out originally. Um, but but at the same time, it's kind of like we talked about, it has such a distinctive sort of vibe and feel that could only really come from particularly a mid-80s movie with, like, the look of it, the, the costumes Leah Thompson wears, or even the various outfits 
Howard does wear, as you mentioned. It, it has, like, so much of a vibe that, like, this could have only come out specifically in 1986. No point before or afterward. <laughs> and I think that's what makes it kind of, like, a weird, interesting time capsule. The big question is, who is this movie for? The answer is obviously one, Patrick. For sure. It's yeah, a movie designed specifically question. for Patrick. But yeah. also, like, I think that's what makes it so it's just sort of interesting where it's, it's once again, it's a weird, unique gem in the middle of this time period where it's like there's no real other movie like Howard the Duck. Even the distinctive badness of it doesn't quite equivalent like any other quote-unquote bad movie of the time. And I think it's just because, like, it's like we mentioned, it goes full hog or full duck, whichever you prefer, with, like, anything that it's doing. Even down to, I agree with you about, like, the, the Jeffrey Jones character as much as, once again, bad man. But at the same bad time, like, the, 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 person. yes, uh, the, the makeup effects and the light, lightning bolts and everything are so, like, fascinating to watch now. There's, like, a weird laser yeah. light show effect whenever he becomes, like, the monstrous creature in particular. It's, yeah. It looks amazing, especially, like, the more sunken in his face gets. Yeah, I mean, the makeup and uh, everything around him, it's like watching uh, like a zombie movie almost, where like he, he just becomes more and more deteriorated as the movie goes on. Uh, you know, his face gets sunken and like just the lines get darker and deeper. And it's it's really, it's it's cool. <laughs> it's cool. Sorry. It, Sorry, all, of, all I'm saying about this movie is I like it and it's cool. <laughs> <laughs> Look, speak your truth, like we said. That's that's yeah. how you feel, Patrick. You gotta say it. Yeah, I'm saying it. I'm not scared. <laughs> and what he does with his voice is pretty. It's it's wild and wacky and fun. Yeah. But again, you know, fuck fuck that guy. You know, damn it. Ten out of ten, Howard the Duck. Yeah. Oh, oh. Yeah. <laughs> he's been converted. It's a miracle. <laughs> Oh, wow. That is so bad. That's never happened on this show where someone fully converts somebody on the bad pick. Great job, Patrick. Congrats. People have tried, but this is this one. Now. It was Howard the Duck that did it. <laughs> <laughs> Wacky little guy. Now, and you know what? I, I will ha- say, Adam, even though with your words about the song, I love the song. I think Thomas Dolby has oh, like a few different fuck. songs that like the Leah Thompson band sings. And they're, once again, very distinctly 80s, but the same they have, like, a fun, upbeat energy to them that I can't help but kind of be fascinated, especially, like, the the rhythm of Howard the Duck as a song is so fun. Yeah. And, yeah, I think it kind of fits the weird, manic energy of this movie, or even where sequences go on forever, like the airplane thing, um, or some of the other, like, big, elaborate it sequences. Forever. It goes on for fucking yeah. ever. <laughs> it's an endless yeah. sequence. But at the same time, it kind of has that same energy and vibe where, like, I grew up especially as, like, I was the right age for the prequels, the Star Wars prequels when they came out. Mm-hmm. And I think those movies have, even though I think they suffer from a bit more consistent pacing issues than this movie does, I can at least say that, like, there's something always interesting to see on screen in the same way with yeah. Howard the Duck, where it's just like, oh, you would see, like, there's so much weird stuff that happens, like, from shot to shot, but at the same time, it's never quite that boring. If anything, I would yeah. say that makes it slightly better than the prequels, which is some that might be mm. a controversial opinion. I don't know. I don't know if that's as controversial. <laughs> no, these are the hot takes. That's what internet loves, is these hot takes I'm spewing at them. That's clearly what it needs. I'm genuinely trying to think whether I enjoy this more than I enjoyed the prequels, and I'm having a lot of trouble. Interesting. Uh, I could answer that. I, I know you can. I know you can. <laughs> how how old were you, how old were you guys when Phantom Menace came out? Nineteen ninety nine. Uh, I was sixteen. Yeah, too old. I was seven. 
I was also seven. Yeah, <laughs> that's we were the, the perfect, perfect audience. Age. Yes, exactly. The perfect age for it. One hundred percent. Why don't you guys get married now? Ooh. I'm just saying. Listen, <laughs> I'm just saying. Much like Anakin Skywalker, according to Yoda, you were too old. You know. That's fair. That's too old fair. to begin the training. <laughs> Yep. Like, you, you didn't play the pod racing game on N64 like we did. <laughs> Come on. Oh, yes, I fucking did. Yes, I did. <laughs> well, we can agree on that. that. That connects us. It binds us like the Force does, the, the N64. <laughs> uh, no, but I, I think I can at least appreciate, with those prequel movies, they definitely have like so much weird, chaotic energy that's going on there. But Howard does it in a more compact package, despite how much things go super long. And it also has like some of that practical effects authenticity that you would really enjoy out of this particularly even like what you mentioned patrick i love the monster at the end it's such a wonderful looking monster yeah um and it's that phil Tippett did the stop motion it looks perfect and i think even it's it's a weird thing where i think the prequels had so much more kind of like money and so much to like fly behind it like it doesn't feel like there's as much like risk involved this feels like a movie that's desperate to make it work yeah I think that's that's the kind of bad movie I enjoy more with a Howard the Duck. Yeah. It has so much, like, we want to make this work. We know the odds are against us, and we're trying to make it work. And I don't think it necessarily perfectly works. I'm not converted, Patrick. I'm sorry. But that's okay. I, I at least respect it fully for what it's trying to do. Uh, here's what I say. I, if a movie is really going for what it's trying to accomplish, I will usually enjoy it, even if I acknowledge that it's not a good movie. Like, I will usually say, oh, I enjoyed that movie because they're really trying to get across whatever weird concept that they're going for. And I feel the same way about the prequels. I think they're doing something, whether it's something you like or something you don't like, it's not just a retread cash grab of the original three movies, you know? It's something different. And that's, uh, you know, that's how I feel about this movie, too, is it's not, like you guys said, there's no other movie like it. And you have to respect that in a way. Yeah, that sounds like pretty good final thoughts, Patrick. Unless you have anything else to add? No, I think that's I think that's it. This movie's good. All right. Well, uh, Adam, now that you've been converted as well, go ahead and agree with those final thoughts. <laughs> uh, I mean, you know, I, I do agree that if the ambition wasn't on the screen, I don't think this would be as enjoyable. But it is very ambitious, and they are committed to making this weird, wacky movie the best they can make it, and. uh that gives it a sense of charm that if this was just a pure on cash grab or something like that, it, it wouldn't have. Again, I, I don't think it's a great movie. I, I'll never say that, but I do think it's very fun. I think it's very entertaining. And uh, for all of its weirdness, absurdity, cheese, just weird decisions. I mean, we didn't even talk about duck boobs, but <laughs> just the weird stuff that they put on screen here and they're fully committed. 100% of the time. So, I mean, it's worth a watch just for that alone. Yeah, I mean, I, I completely agree with at least that much. I, I think it's, it's like I said, Lucas has, when he made, like, or produced even just these weird movies, it always has a distinctive stamp of Lucas, whether it is, like, the special effects stuff or the um, just weird decision of just, like, yeah, we'll make one our main character, like, a sentient duck that's, like, two feet tall and has, like, stands on, you know, two legs and has feather arms sure we'll do that and he didn't even question for a second that that wouldn't work uh i think it's that ambition really works for it i think that's what makes our you know with like willard and gloria like their ability to try and like run with that i think that makes it such a fascinating watch where you might not like the movie 
And I get it. I'm kind of in that camp. I'm not necessarily the hugest fan, but it's like such a fascinating, weird movie of its era that can't really be duplicated. It can't really be recreated and nothing else. Like, you know, I, I like a lot of the modern Marvel movies, but it doesn't have uh, stuff like an unwrapped condom inside of a wallet, which we didn't talk about either. <laughs> it's a fucking moment that happens in this goddamn movie. <laughs> it's insane. The 80s were weird, man. The 80s were weird. Yeah. That's that's very true. Or also Howard working as like a weird janitor for what seems to be a sex spa. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to say it again. The 80s were weird, man. <laughs> very true. Very true. Uh, but that's the end of our discussion of our very weird double feature here um but we uh, are gonna get into the close of our show including our picking for next week stay tuned for that but first uh, we had some thoughts from all you out there over at on facebook and twitter at dedb pod we asked y'all about like hey what are your favorite least favorite movies related to our topic we're doing we had a couple people contribute like james rodriguez who says american graffiti is a humorous yet bittersweet look and innocence of youth right up to the gut punch of an end uh, a more personal film from lucas i wish we could have seen more of that side from him. And there's also some movies involving archaeologists and lightsabers. And then Brian Quarterman says, uh, best Howard the Duck, worst Star Wars. See? It's, it's He's such else. a fucking troll, that he, kid. He I often trolls in our, that's true, but uh, we, we love him for it. But I guess this is a good section to especially talk about, like, Patrick, what are some other George Lucas things that you want to bring people's attention to? Like, weird, oh. obscure things that you find fascinating. Radioland Murders is fascinating to me. Um... It's a movie that you really got to hunt for if you want to watch it. It's a uh, it's a slapstick comedy about a radio station in the 40s uh, where people are getting murdered. But it's got like such a good comedy cast and it doesn't necessarily succeed. But I think there's a lot of fun slapsticky physical comedy gags in it that I think it's probably worth watching, even if it's not good. Um, the other one that uh, we always talk about on the show is Strange Magic. Um, do you guys, I know, I know you probably know about Strange Magic, but like, mm-hmm. should I, should I explain it to everybody? Uh, go ahead, because especially that was Adam's alternate choice. We almost did instead of Howard. Whoa. We almost oh, could be talking about that. <laughs> I mean, for the people who are listening who don't know anything about Strange Magic, Strange Magic was a movie that Lucas was working on before he sold Lucasfilm to, uh, Disney. Um, it came out because Disney as part of the deal when they released Star Wars, they also had to release Strange Magic, which was almost done when it got sold. Uh, it was released on, I believe it's over 5,000 screens, and it holds the record for the lowest grossing animated film released on over 5,000 screens. But it's a jukebox fairy musical um, starring Alan Cumming and like Maya Rudolph and like crazy, uh, crazy, crazy people. I think Tucci's in it. Um, it's a wild, wild movie. It goes in and out of Disney Plus. So if it pops up, you should watch it just because knowing that it comes from George's mind, basically what his pitch was when they were making it was, I have an iPod with a hundred songs on it. Let's make a movie uh, for girls. That's what he says. I made Star Wars for boys. I made Strange Magic for girls. Um, take of that what you will. And it's just a bunch of fairies singing like, I can't help uh falling in love with you and like sugar pie honey bunch and uh, uh bad romance it's a very weird movie 
yeah, I hadn't watched either of those until the auspice of, like, you at one point watched both of those on the George Lucas yeah. talk show. And both are, like you mentioned, very fascinating. Like, especially with Radio Land Murders was his last big movie before the Star Wars prequels really went into production. And it's so fascinating, just like you mentioned, the huge cast down to, it's George Burns' last movie? He just pops up for a second? It's really weird. Yeah. Um, and, and then also with Strange Magic, that one also, it's it's a bad animated movie in a time where we've had so many different bad animated movies, but also it has such a unique design to all the characters to where it doesn't oh, just look like, oh, hey, we're ripping off Pixar or DreamWorks or whatever. It's just like, no, this is a very distinct design. And it's also, that's the last movie George Lucas has a credit on as of yet. Yeah. So if anything, it's, it's his uh, final note to cinema is Strange Magic, so why not? Like, if you're a completionist... <laughs> watching it just knowing that he had a heavy hand in it makes it so much more interesting than watching like geez what's that movie epic you remember that movie right the the blue sky like a lot of the blue sky movies kind of had that yeah 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 feels very similar in tone to strange magic uh but strange magic when you're like oh but also one of the most famous filmmakers in the universe (laughs) like did so much on this movie it's just interesting it's interesting um, well, two I wanted to mention, because especially they just dropped on Disney Plus recently, and I watched them over the weekend, were the Ewok movies, the TV movies, where if you don't know, after Return of the Jedi, uh, the Ewoks got two spinoff movies on TV um, that are, one, very high budget for TV movies, obviously, given Lucas was involved. They look pretty darn good, uh, despite some of the issues with, like, there's a spider in the first one that looks terrible. It's so funny. <laughs> it's such a bad, like, on rods, clearly. Um, the first one, I think, is just kind of like what you expect of, like, a kid-friendly TV movie, where it's just like, oh, it's a bunch, couple kids trying to save their parents with the Ewoks on Endor. And then the second one is so dark in a weird way I didn't expect, where within the first ten minutes these evil giant alien creatures kill not just a bunch of Ewoks, but three-fourths of the human cast we got to know from the first movie, <laughs> leaving a little girl orphaned and in shock, and then she has to be adopted, basically, by Ewoks and Wilford Brimley. Yeah. I Now, I've only seen the first one, uh, really, and I watched it um, when it went up on Disney+, Plus. so I'm very excited to watch the second one. Uh, I just haven't gotten to it yet. No, yeah, Battle for Endor is the second one. Caravan of Courage is the first one. They're both very weird, fascinating artifacts, especially yeah, of, yeah. The, and of the Star Wars legacy. And they put up a bunch of those. And I, I can't, I'm waiting for droids. Put it on there, Disney. I want to watch droids. Droids apparently coming later this year. Oh, I can't wait. Almost there. I did buy one of my quarantine purchases was an Italian Caravan of Courage poster. It's got, like, really good Drew Struzan art. And when I bought it, I was like, oh, this will just be a normal poster size. This will be great. I'll get it framed and hang it up. It's really cool. It looks cool. And then it got to my apartment, and it's six and a half feet tall and, like, three (laughs) feet wide. And I legitimately, like, I still want to frame it because I think it's so funny to just have a six and a half foot tall Italian Ewok poster hanging up. Uh, but it's going to cost me like a thousand dollars and I'm going to have to go to like some custom framer. <laughs> like, I'm, I don't know how I'm going to do it. Plus that just would become your wall. <laughs> That's just a wall in your home at that Absolutely. point. Absolutely. <laughs> I, fi- yeah, I have figured out which wall it will go if it stays here, but I'm like, maybe I just wait until I move to the next place and then I'll do it. So I don't have to move with this giant poster. We'll see. We'll see. Uh, but but Adam, are there any sort of like fun Lucasy projects you'd want to mention? It's just like interesting, besides the obvious that we've been dancing around. I mean, you guys pretty much just named them all. He doesn't have a giant <laughs> filmography. 
No, I mean, that's that's pretty much, you know, I, I agree with everything you guys have said. I, I just still, it's George fucking Lucas. I mean, the guy made Star Wars and Indiana Jones and everything else. It, it's, you know, he's George Lucas, man. He's George well, Lucas. Well, what is your favorite Lucas thing, whether it be Star Wars or Indiana Jones or whatever, Adam? What's your favorite? Uh, it, the Indiana Jones. The Indiana Jones. Uh, particularly the first and the third one are my favorites. Um I've just always been a huge sort of action adventure fan. And as a kid, you know, growing up, you know, my dad had a bunch of old, like the serial magazines and, you know, things like that. And those old comic books would be like adventure time. Well, not adventure time. That's a thing now, but (laughs) it would be like, you know, just these crazy pulp comics. And that's what Indiana Jones was on screen. It was super exciting, super fun. I could still watch Raiders of the Lost Ark or Last Crusade or even Temple of Doom anytime it comes on. I, I'm not a, I do not like Kingdom of Crystal Skull at all, but I also am with Patrick on that it does exist. So it is part of the canon. I just don't like it, so I don't watch it. But I have seen I'm, it, and it is what it is. I'm not going to say my take because it'll make you mad. No, it's everything makes me mad. Don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> Go I ahead. Think it's, I, I think it's not bad until it turns into a CGI goop fest at the end. That's my take. I think there's some fun sequences in there. I think you can tell where like people often lump it in with the prequels. Uh, but you can yeah. tell like Spielberg's like at least like creative energy I think is still on display there, even though it's not him at his like peak, obviously. I think particularly I really dig the whole chase that goes on early on when the cam on Mutt's motorcycle through the college. Yeah. I think it's a legit fun sequence. Oh god, I'm gonna get I'm gonna get flamed right now for saying this. I like that fridge sequence. I like when he goes through that fifties nuclear town and then I like it. I think it looks cool. I think it's fun. Well, if nothing else, it's also it doesn't feel like a movie that's retreading water, like we t- nope. kind of talked about earlier with nope. the other Indiana Jones movies. It's doing something different, which you would have to, given like it's takes place in the fifties. It's a completely different time and place from like the forties when the earlier movies took place. You have to do something completely different. It's once again, it's a major swing. Yep, <laughs> and genuinely very curious to see how this next one goes. Oh God! With like what it's now James Mangold directing, and yeah. Harrison Ford's going to be like in his mid eighties probably by the time they start filming. Yeah. It. It's yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's fascinating. No, I I think if nothing else, because like people often like that. I, I sort of it's a weird journey for me where like you we mentioned I was like a kid when the prequels came out, and then it became a popular mm-hmm. thing to hate on like oh not just the prequels but like oh George Lucas uh, ruined my childhood that kind of stuff. But I think yep. especially as time has gone on, I've really just turned on that where like if nothing else with like the modern blockbuster culture we get now where a lot of things feel so homogenized like i kind of miss having that energy of lucas not necessarily for say the stars like i'm not one of those guys who just like bring lucas back because one he would have done a lot of similar things like even everyone complains about the last jedi like oh my god i can't believe that lucas on this island that was the george lucas idea and like his pitch He wanted to do that, so he would have maybe done some more similar things to that movie than you would have expected. At the same time, like I do miss having his presence around. It's been about a decade, and well, half a decade since Strange Magic, obviously, as we all remember and love <laughs> Strange Magic. But um, you can't you miss that kind of weird energy just being put out. Yeah, I I mean I agree. I agree. I think uh, I think every everything that he works on is going for something. Like I said, whether you like it or not, it's trying something. It's evolving uh, cinema. It's changing the way movies are made. And uh, you see that on screen and you get to see an evolution 
of like special effects and like the you know digital uh, filmmaking and everything like that you watch it happen in front of your eyes and i think it's it's very important uh stuff to to pay attention to because it really truly changed um the culture that we live in today i know that's such a hot take hot take massive george lucas had a big impact whoa i i agree uh, you know and the thing is like i said earlier say whatever you will about him uh the guy created arguably the greatest pop culture phenomenon franchise that's ever existed up until that time and even since i'd argue and uh we don't have a George Lucas, I would say, out there right now going for it and trying new things, whether they work or fail, but really putting his all into it and, and trying to captivate and excite, you know, audiences, whether they be kids or adults, trying to make something for everybody. You don't really see that sort of gusto out there anymore. No, yeah. yeah. And, and even down to like even with the technology element, not just ILM, not just some of these other things, but a lot of people forget that um, one of the companies that he bought early on in like the late 70s or early 80s was called um graphics group who did a lot of the special effects even stuff for like howard the duck they removed like some of the wires and stuff for when he's flying around and stuff and not too long after howard the duck uh he sold that company off to steve jobs it became pixar 100 mm-hmm. percent true thing so you wouldn't even have your, your woody and buzz without lucas leading the way yeah like I said, uh, you know, sees talent in front of him and knows knows when it's uh, the right people. Good for him. Good guy. Gives all his money to charity. Seems like a good dude. Yeah, and I'm sure he's a listener. I'm sure he listens to every episode of Double Edge Double Bill. Sure. Huge fan. Yep. I'm sure. Just like all of you out there. Yeah, sat there with his Coke Zeros and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Sadly, sitting there at like with his lunch, eating it um, with one of the little red tree. Yeah. One of the best pictures. <laughs> of all time uh but uh we want to thank all of you for listening george and everyone else uh thanks to you and also thanks to chris oliver for the intro and outro music used on our show listen to more of his music at chrisoliver.bandcamp.com thanks to Emily carter for the art for our show thank you to our loyal patrons patreon.com slash gedbpod where for just a dollar a month you guys get to pick movies we cover for the show pick topics we do and also listen to bonus podcast stuff we put out there all for just the dollar and we also want to thank of course patrick cotner our guest thank you so much for coming on patrick a lot of fun having you on Thank you for having me, guys. It's always nice talking about Uncle George, you know? Oh, of course, certainly. And where can people find you doing a lot of that out there on the internet? Yeah, people can find, uh, I mean, you can follow me on Twitter, at Patrick Cotner. I'm currently trying to get more followers than the canceled NBC show 1600 Pen. Um, so you can go there. Uh, or you can watch the George Lucas Talk Show every Sunday night at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on PlanetScum.Live. All the old episodes are on YouTube. Uh, it may seem overwhelming to hop in, but I recommend just finding an episode with someone that you like, a uh, guest that you like, and then uh, just going from there. We're pretty good at explaining the bits that we're doing and trying to catch people up. So I think uh, it, you know, you'll 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 catch on eventually. A personal recommendation for a really good jump in episode. I'm not yeah. sure which number it is. Is uh, the one you did with Ahmed Best, the voice of Jar Jar? Yeah, I think it's one of your best ones. Yeah, I watched that today. Actually, that episode. I... Because uh, Thomas one. has been talking about, yeah, Thomas has been talking about your show for, man, I can't even tell you how long. <laughs> and yeah. uh, and when we had landed you as a guest, he that's the link he sent me. He's like, this is a good one to jump in on, and I watched it, and it was really, really quite fun. He's I'm definitely so gonna good. watch more. He's so good, and he's so interesting, and uh, it's really a shame that you know people were so mean to him because he was really talented and really smart, and. Uh, 
deserves to have, you know, uh, much more opportunities than I think he's gotten over the last, you know, couple decades. So I hope that is turning around soon. He seems to be working on a lot of cool stuff. No, yeah, and he, he doesn't seem at all bitter about it. He seems like he's genuinely sort of like really owned the Jar Jar character and like voiced him yeah. in different things still to this day. I think he's, uh, he, and he's especially like on your show, he had such fun things to say. And I would also recommend not just watching that particular episode, but then that after show is also so fascinating where I won't say what exactly happened because you cut it up, but I'll say I was there for oh, wow. the person <laughs> that you quote unquote interview, the second guest, as your fans call it. Yeah, no comment. Yeah, no comment, of course not. But um, definitely would recommend, especially you guys release the things on YouTube around like Tuesdays when we put our show up. So you, the Seth Rogen yeah. thing will probably be up around this time that you're listening to this. Yeah. Yes. And for more of our fun, you can follow us at Pod on Facebook and Twitter where we put up the feelers about, uh, you know, the questionnaires asking what your favorite, least favorite things related to whatever topic we do are. Um, and you can also email us double double bill at gmail.com all spelled out. And if you can't, you know, support us on the Patreon monthly, why not, uh, buy some merch over the ESOT public store, uh, where you can buy, you know, shirts or mugs or anything else uh, with our logo on it. Gives us a bit of a kickback, really helps us out. <sighs> buy our merch, buy our merch. <laughs> we make it, we make him do that every week. Patrick, <laughs> he has to do it by contractual I obligation. It. I love it. Um, and you can find me doing more of my stuff on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd as at NotTheWho'sTommy. Um, and also I do some writing at MarianiThomas.wordpress.com and at Film-Cred. Yep, and I am on Twitter and Instagram at Atom or Adam, it's A-T-O-M underscore O-R underscore A-D-A-M. Don't do a lot on there. Share GoFundMe, share random bullshit pictures of my dogs paintings i've done things like that but if you want to follow me on there i'll share your stuff too why not just as long as you do the fucking same for me and my show uh and also you should probably give a shout you're on a, a guest spot on the show recently yeah. oh yeah it was recently on front of the show uh rafe tells is a podcast have not seen this and we discussed the film the jacket starring adrian broda and Kira knightley uh really really fun little uh sci-fi thriller time travel movie so uh definitely give that a listen it was super fun yes and for more of our silly fun subscribe to us on apple Podcasts, spotify stitcher and other podcasting platforms if you're listening on eso why not dig into the other great shows on the network and uh, you can also dig into our archives on our podbean main feed for all the shows we did even before we joined eso and nothing else if you can't you know buy the merch or uh, support us on the patreon if you just rate review or share the show around that helps us get more visibility out there yeah like i said earlier when i threatened everybody about my twitter uh that yeah just share yes. the show just keeping fans doing the best to keep fans around <laughs> for sure but uh now adam it's time to do our picking for the next episode and uh usually what we do is uh you have two well someone will have two good picks and the other one will have two bad picks and uh, usually we uh, choose from each other's choices uh, that we've assigned them between 1 and 10 for. And that gets us uh, our good and bad choice for the next week. And next week, because the Oscars are going to be a thing, we're doing a fun topic where we decided on a That Was Oscar Nominated, which is basically the premise is a movie where you find out it's Oscar nominated and you're baffled by that. Whether it's a good movie or a bad movie. We thought it was kind of fun because I love looking at that kind of stuff. We're just like, oh, wait, this movie? nominated for an oscar that's fascinating i can't that that, that baffles me and uh, adam you have the two good ones for that i got the two bad and uh whenever we have a guest on uh we like them to go ahead and pick number between one and ten for each of our choices so for adam's two good choices patrick just pick number between one and ten 
six. All right, at number eight, I have not only was it nominated, but it actually. Oh, I said six. Wait, I said six. Well, no, it's like a, it's a, it's it's like whatever's closest. Okay. To, to, well, I'm sorry, okay. we didn't explain okay. this properly. Okay. okay, okay, sorry, sorry, sorry. No, that's totally fine. No, we didn't at have ten. Eight, he doesn't have ten different picks at ten different numbers. Got it, got it, got it. Okay. Although that might be a fun idea, but anyways, I. Uh... <laughs> At number eight, I have uh, not only has it nominated, but it won for best song, and I remember being completely baffled. I have the Terrence Howard "Hustle and Flow." Oh, right, good guy. Hard out here for a pimp. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yep. At the time, three six mafia, one Oscar, Martin Scorsese, zero. <laughs> I mean, listen, great, great Studio sixty musical guest, three six mafia. That's true. Yep. That's very true. For about three people here. My alternate choice was uh, a film that was nominated for Best Supporting Actor. I have Terry Gilliam's 12 Monkeys. Yeah. Very good movie. Pretty solid choice. All right. But now, Patrick, for my two bad choices, number between one and ten. Nine. Okay. That's closest to number ten, which I have a movie that was nominated for Best Art Direction and Best Costume Design, despite being a really infamous bomb. Um, that I haven't seen in a very long time, but I'm curious too. It is the Robin Williams vehicle toys. Oh, oh no! Very, very excited for that. Uh, but on the uh, opposite end of the spectrum, at number two, I have a George C. Scott vehicle directed by uh, Mike Nichols uh, that was nominated for best sound and best score called "The Day of the Dolphin," which I haven't seen. <laughs> But I only know, but I mainly know for the amazing tagline, which I will quote here. Uh, unwittingly, he trained a dolphin to kill the president of the United States. <laughs> now I gotta watch that. Movie. <laughs> <laughs> wow! So we have a movie about a southern pimp who becomes a rapper and hustle, hustle and flow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, that'll be all next time. But until then, guys. Uh, study your quack foo. Oh, God. <laughs> Good night, everyone. Good night. Bye. has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.